Today, we celebrate our 150th episode of the podcast and our quarter million dollar revenue milestone. And I wanted to share with you all the lessons that got me here and that will carry me through to the next milestone. But back in episode 51, 51 of this podcast, I shared with you my entire story of how I got screwed over at work for the last time, quit my job, started coaching, and I even shared with you my entire journey of my offers leading up to my Get Clients First membership, which is my flagship offer. So if you'd like to hear that story, you can tune back to episode 51 when you're done with this one. And on this, our 150th episode, I wanted to share with you the lessons that I learned on the way here in hopes that they will take you to your next milestone, whatever that may be. Um, and also I share with you a few lessons that I learned the hard way for listening to some ill-given advice. And I never want you to hit that wall the way that I did. Hi, I'm your host, Ina Coveney. Every Tuesday, I bring you an interview with a successful online coach where we uncover their true startup story and we wrap it up with a companion episode on Thursdays, this one right here, where I teach you three things that our guest is doing very right in their business and you should start doing right now. But because this is a very special episode, we are going to do something completely different because I'm going to share with you a whole ton of lessons that we learned on our way here. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while wondering when you'll be able to record an episode like this one, I'm going to encourage you to take your next immediate milestone and share it with us when you meet it. Tag me on Instagram at your engagement coach when you do. You'll be a great inspiration to everyone. And also, please head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon, the podcast about online coaching, the inspiring new career path responsible for multiple self-made millionaires, opening the doors for experts and professionals like you and me to stop living paycheck to paycheck and design a rich and abundant life with one purpose, to help others. I'm your host, Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach. Listen for lessons and strategies that will turn you into the next global phenomenon. Today's episode begins now. Welcome to the quarter million dollar episode. Um, I know that you're probably tuning in here. Okay, Ina, just tell me exactly how you got there so that I can move on with my day. Through this, I can't just give you one answer that number one will help you, that number two will be satisfactory because there was so much that went into this year. Um, not this year, this these four years. I have been in business for four years. So let's first clear up this podcast. I have hit a quarter million dollars revenue for the lifetime of my business since we since I quit my job since 2018. Um, I reached the $100,000 mark within the first couple of years of getting my very first coaching client. And this is kind of where we are. So I think that is lesson number one. If you're listening to this, it's very important to me that you know what you're watching, that you know what you're looking at. That when somebody says, hey, I am a six-figure entrepreneur, I'm a seven-figure entrepreneur, 
there are like three different interpretations that you could take from there. You could be that this person made a over $100,000 that year. It could be that they're making, that they've made that amount of money in the lifespan of their business. And if so, over how many years is that, right? So you need to know that not everybody defines being a six-figure entrepreneur, a seven-figure entrepreneur in the same way. And the truth is that in the end, what really matters is profitability. And nobody here tells you, hey, I am a seven-figure business owner, and they're talking about their profits. They're talking about their revenue. The question is over how long, right? So anyway, this is not a finance class, but this is just to tell you, okay, in a quarter million since when? Since 2018, and we're in 2022 right now. So over the past four years, 250,000, knowing that we have, we started out making very little and it has, you know, increased every single year. Um, so congratulations to me. I don't tend to celebrate these milestones. In fact, this one was going to pass me right by. Um, the whole reason, again, I want you guys to know what you're looking at. The whole reason why I even thought to look back and see how much revenue I had had is because episode 150 was coming up. So I'm like, okay, so what else am I celebrating in this 150th episode? Yes, 150 episodes. We made it, you know, I have a small audience, so making it to a thousand downloads per episode, it has been an amazing milestone to hit. We hit that a few months back. So what else are we celebrating? Okay, let me take a look at my revenue. And I saw that I crossed the quarter million dollar mark several tens of thousands of dollars ago, but I didn't even register it because my mind has always been looking at other vanity metrics in order to gauge success. And that is where our story is going to begin. So today I am going to share with you different stories that consider like a series of stories that add up to all the amazing lessons that I learned that I wish everybody knew when they start their coaching businesses. I wish they knew all of this to start. If somebody had made me understand this, because I'm sure I heard some version of this or another in the beginning, but if somebody had made me understand this, I feel like I would have made different choices. But the reality is that we're all in our own journey because you are going to be making mistakes that will teach you. I made mistakes that taught me. Um, we don't learn through success. We learn through failures. So it took a lot of them for me to learn all of these lessons that I'm going to share with you today. And um, I, the first question that I'm going to just... Actually, I already answered the first question. It's like, okay, Ina, what does quarter million dollar mean? I just told you what that means in my case, and we're celebrating it, and we're super excited about it. The second question that I know is on your mind, which is why you're listening, is how did you make it? Where did that money come from, right? It came from client work, and in the beginning of my business, it came from making websites for businesses, right? So my entire revenue has been split since I started my business. I was still making websites on the side. Um, and then eventually it flipped over to pure coaching. So I do group programs and I do, I have a membership called Get Clients First. Um, you can find out all about it. If you go to joingetclientsfirst.com, you'll find out about my membership. Um, and I have a program that I'm launching. I have uh, VIP days. I've had... Um, I've had events, I've had classes that I have taught is, is, uh, is a 
conglomerate of all of that. That quarter million came from a combination of different revenue streams all around me performing services or me coaching. Um, so which one was it the one that really made it? Which one, which one was the offer that really like hit it out of the park? I'm going to tell you there were a couple. I feel like I can confidently answer that question. Um, I'm not going to count my one-on-ones because I feel like one-on-one is kind of a slam dunk. Everybody knows that your one-on-one services uh, are more, like more money. They cost more. They give you more revenue per person than doing a group program would you know, because it's just a different price point, right? Uh, but to tell the truth, my group programs have been pretty incredible. My high ticket group programs have been uh, where I would check the mark that this is how, where and how I reached the first 100,000 was from my high ticket group programs. Um, the one that has been my baby that I have nurtured that continues to give me thousands of dollars of income per month is my membership, is my high-level premium coaching membership, which is get clients first. So that's kind of where the money comes from. Because I know you have that question because I've had that question too. I remember back in 2018, 2018, 2019, meeting a certain influencer. I won't say her name, but I got to meet her in an event. I didn't know she was going to be there. She was, I I think I was the only one in the audience who knew who she was because she was much bigger online than she was in person. And I heard her her whole story and I went and I introduced myself to her and I was very early and I asked her, I just have one question for you. Where does the money come from? That's my, that was my question for her. Where does the money come from? And she said, she just answered very, very uh, directly. She appreciated that question and she gave me the right answer. She was like, group programs. Like, that's all she said. And I'm like, okay, then group programs it is. I know that's a question that you all have. So why don't we, now that we kind of kill the elephant in the room, right? What is $250,000 in terms of how I'm speaking speaking about it right now and where did the money come from is there. But what I really think it matters here, like now that you know where it came from and now that you know where the programs, which programs are the ones that are most lucrative, okay, great. How does that change your life? It won't. You know what will? Knowing the stories that I'm about to tell you so that these things, when they happen to you, you know how to act or you recognize that these things are happening. So I kind of divided this podcast into two segments, into great lessons that I really felt like moved the needle for me. Some have stories, some don't, some I'm just going to preach for a second. Uh, But then I also have hard lessons and those come with a story. Those are the lessons that I learned the hard way that I wouldn't want anybody to learn the hard way, but most likely we're all going to have hard lessons. So I'm going to start with the biggest lesson of all, which is that when I started my business, I thought that I needed to grow my audience in order to grow my business. I thought these two things came hand in hand. I thought I'm I'm looking at other influencers, I'm looking at other online people, and I'm seeing that they are touting their success based on how many followers they have. And they use words like, oh, my, my Facebook group blew up. My Instagram account blew up. Um, and that's the moment when I went viral. And that's the moment when I really knew that I made it. Um, that year, we made $600,000 in our first year, right? Like, I'm, so I'm hearing 
these coaches and these entrepreneurs say these things over and over. So I'm like, okay, so I need to grow my audience. I need to grow my audience. I need to grow my audience. And that got me down the rabbit hole of investing in trying to get, trying to become famous, essentially. I bought YouTube courses and TikTok courses and everything you can think of. I went and I bought and I invested. And that's where my mind was at. And I know that's where most of us kind of get caught in that loop. Is my audience big enough? Maybe I'm not getting clients because I'm not getting enough eyeballs in my stuff. And I'm, I, I actually had kind of like an epiphany yesterday um, where like my, my future self, right? Because I'm still thinking here of like, like, yes, I know how to monetize a small audience, but I need to grow my audience. I need to continue to grow my audience. Like that has like it never went away right? It's something that I've had to manage. It's something that I've had to reel in, to realize, wait, Ina, you're doing great. Your business is continuing to grow and you're doing this with a small audience. These are things that I I teach and I keep having to tell myself. It's almost like an addict teaching an addict how not to be an addict anymore, right? You guys are addicted to getting the big numbers and getting the big vanity metrics and getting the big follower, the big follower count. That was me. I was that follower count addict. And now I'm a recovering addict, which means that I will always be dealing with this, with this bug in my brain that is telling me that I need to grow the audience, while at the same time taking the right actions so that I'm doing the right things. And I not let my addiction to follower count dictate my actions. So that's kind of where I am. It's like the, the recovering addict talking to the addict is telling you, Growing the audience is not where it's at. You need to be monetizing the audience that you currently have. So I started there. I started there with everybody. And I'm going to tell you, when I started writing down this list of things that helped me break out of that cycle, right, go from being an addict to being a recovering addict, the one thing that really helped me, that moved the needle for me, was to get angry. I got so angry three years into my business and I had purchased every program and I probably wouldn't have gotten this angry if it wasn't because I found myself in a really, in a really scary position where I had made money in my business. By that point, I had already reached the $100,000 mark, but all I had to show for it at the end of my first three years in business was debt. And at the time, I was working with a coach who was a high-ticket coach. And I thought that I could pay her off of the money that I was going to make working with her. But that money didn't materialize. I'm not blaming her. This is not her fault. She didn't do anything wrong. She was just doing what she does best. I was the one who wasn't making the right decisions. And at the end of our engagement, I owed her something like $7,000 um, which was part of our agreement. Um, I believe it was $7,000 that I owed her on the final payment. And I didn't have the money to pay her. I didn't have it. If I had given her that money from my account, from my business account, I would have had to close down shop. And I was so angry at myself. I did end up paying her. I borrowed some money from my husband, who was a sweetheart. He said, I believe in you. I know this is going to work for you. Here you go. I'll loan you the money. Um, And I did pay him back. (laughs) I'll loan you the money for the business. And then, you know, 
it's going to be okay, you keep on going. So I was able to pay her and settle my debt with her. But by the end of that year, I was like, what the hell? Why, why is this happening to me? I am smart. I am resourceful. I am really good with money. Why am I in this debt spiral? And I got mad. And if anybody has been following me for the past couple of years, you must have gotten an email from me that was December of 2021. Um, no, December of 2020. You must have gotten an email from me where I was angry. I went on and I was like, I can't believe that I have let myself go down this hole where I am easily influenced by other people's marketing. I was angry that every time I would see a Facebook ad and that I would see a great influencer that I admired selling something that I couldn't say no. Why couldn't I say no? What was this addiction that I had to be close to other coaches, to learn from them? Why wasn't I focusing rationally on the business that I have in front of me and on getting clients for this business? Why was getting clients secondary to growing an audience, to becoming famous, to seeing my numbers grow, to investing in yet another program? Clients are supposed to be the first thing you should be doing, you should be getting. And I was so mad. So I guess my point with this mini story is that you need to know that the way that you're going right now, if you're going down that path of getting yourself in debt and still not seeing your audience grow and still not seeing money in your business, you need to get angry. And you need to get angry at the way things have been and the way that you have managed things in the past. That's what worked for me. Once I got angry, I was able to make changes and I didn't care who I took in my path, right? I pulled up the bulldozer and I flattened out the business. I said, I am not paying for this or this or this or this anymore. And I cut back on all of my expenses I made very, very rational choices as to what was the next investment that I needed to make. And it wasn't going to be based on frivolous metrics. And it wasn't going to be based on, oh, that Facebook ad looks good. Oh, my favorite coach is selling something. It wasn't going to be based on that. I decided I was going to be making decisions based on what my business needed at the time. And what my business needed was clients. And guess what? At that point, and this is kind of my, my next lesson here. At that point, I already knew what I needed to do. I just wasn't doing it. And I thought that buying more programs was going to help me get there. I thought that buying more programs was just a magic, you know, the, the silver bullet was the magic thing that I needed to, I just need to join that program and then I'll be a success story for that coach. There was one point where I had invested in like seven programs at a time. And I remember because I, I put them up on a, on a whiteboard in my house and I split the whiteboard up into seven blocks and I said okay every day I'm going to make a little bit of progress on each of these programs what are you doing focus what do you need do that thing so getting angry taking up the bulldozer flattening out all of those investments that are not serving you and they never did and start matching your knowledge with your implementation. 
This is for all of you who say, I know what to do, I just haven't done it. If that's you, then investing in another program is not the answer. You just gotta do the thing and sit yourself down and do it. And if it's, you know, you don't have time because you're already so tapped out, you're already, like your time is already all booked up and there's, you just cannot find the hours in the day, then it's time to ask yourself, is this a high priority enough for you, yes or no? And if the answer is yes, and you've already determined that you do not have the time to do it, then you gotta pile up some resources and start outsourcing and hire somebody to do it for you so that the thing can get done without you wasting another six months guilt tripping yourself for not doing it. Because I don't think you're doing anything wrong. I think you're prioritizing. I think when somebody says like, oh, I just haven't done it yet, it's not because you're lazy. In fact, you're probably working harder than everybody else, but you're being very hard on yourself for not doing that thing. So stop with the guilt, stop wasting your time on guilt and look at what is it that you wanna accomplish and if you can't do it, which is okay to say, because we, we live in a world of, uh, you know, in an era of super women who cannot say that they can't do something. But if you can't do it because you don't have time, then you outsource it. You train somebody and then they do it for you and then the thing gets done. So anyway, I'm starting to preach. Let's go back to stories, okay? So I chose to match my implementation with my knowledge. And I said, I'm not paying for anything else. I'm just gonna do. And this is gonna be my top priority, one thing at a time. And that's when I, when my membership, the one that I just told you that is my bread and butter, my baby, that's when my membership was born. This was a, an amazing lesson that I learned here. It wasn't born by chance. It was born because I sat down with myself and I said, what kind of life do I wanna have? What kind of business do I want to have? And what would be the ideal business setup? How many hours am I working in the day? Um, how many meetings do I have during the day? How do I feel about having meetings? And how many meetings do I want to have? What would be my perfect setup? And then I set out to create a program that would give me that lifestyle where I would be able to teach and I would be able to help the people that I really want to help for the right price tag that I want to help them for. And that has been my bread and butter for the past two years. That has been my baby, my Get Clients First membership. And it was born out of this out of me saying, I'm not gonna do what everybody else tells me to do, I'm just gonna do what I need to do. So I needed to sit down with myself and figure out what that was, right? In short, there's absolutely no coaching program and no course that is going to give you results. The only thing that is going to give you results is you doing the thing, that's it. So when I realized that, I said, okay, then let's get to work. And from that point, I became immune to other people's marketing. Um, I just actually, um, I was talking to a friend who told me like, oh, you're, you're like, are you like the coolest kid in any room? I'm like, probably, because I am not that easily influenced, right? I look at things with a critical eye and I don't invest in anything unless my business is screaming for it first. If my business needs it, I give it to it. My business is my baby. My baby is asking for food, I give it food. If my business, my baby, is not asking for a Prada bag, I'm not gonna go out and buy a Prada bag for my business. I'm gonna give my business the food that it needs because it's asking me for it. And that's how I decide my investments. 
One thing that I, I'm putting it here as another really, really important lesson that I learned was to stop doing things because I had to. So I have this situation going on in my brain. I don't know who can relate to this, but I don't just decide what to do and do it. I have a situation in my brain that I kind of compare it to having a grown-up and having a teenager in my brain. And they're at constant battle, right? The mom and the grown, and the mom and the teenager. The mom is the one with the plan, is the one that knows, okay, these are the things we need to do in this order so we can accomplish that result. The only problem is that the only person charged and tasked with executing that plan is the teenager in my brain. The teenager in my brain, most of the time, will not do anything unless there's something in it for her. That teenager is very self-centered, self-absorbed, and if she's not entertained by this task, fat chance she's going to do it. The teenager has to be properly motivated to do it. And just because the mom wants her to do it, it's not good enough. That's how my brain works. So I had to realize that the more I try to force my teenager executor self to do things, the less I was going to do. And the more resentful I was going to get at the task. So I had to stop doing things because I absolutely had to. And I had to find a good reason to do that thing. And that actually helped me simplify my business. Um, because I wasn't focused on being everywhere. If you guys may have noticed or may not have noticed, I have a YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube and you type the Global Phenomenon Podcast, there's an entire YouTube channel with all of my podcast episodes in there. I don't have a hundred subscribers on that podcast, on that YouTube channel. Why? Because I have not focused on growing it. I did buy a YouTube course. I know how to grow it if I wanted to. But I don't have the bandwidth or the energy to grow every social media all at once. So at one point, I decided, at one point, I decided that I'm just going to focus my energy and my time into the thing that I really want to grow. And that's when I went from having a Facebook group that had 750 people in it, out of which only like 30 engaged. I closed that down. I said, I'm not spending any more energy on this. And I moved over to Instagram, where I created a brand new account from scratch back in 2021 called Your Engagement Coach. And that's where I've been spending all of my time and energy. Now, here's the beauty of it. There is something actually making me post on here. On Instagram and I don't know if I don't know how your brain works but you got to find ways for your brain to help you right for that teenager to be motivated because it's not enough to know that you have to do it that's the mom brain the teenager brain needs to want to do it so for me okay this is Ina and Ina's brain and Ina's Ina's whole life experience talking for me I don't like the feeling of being alone. I'm an extrovert. It's a thing for me. I like having people around. But when I'm at home and it's just me for several hours, 
right? I end up actually self-sabotaging because I know that about myself. I know that I like to be with people. So I end up self-sabotaging. I try to not be alone as much as possible. So I used to, this used to be a, a pattern for me. I used to book myself up with meetings. Like I would have days where I had meetings from seven in the morning until 10 at night. So that was my way of self-sabotage, of saying, I don't want to be alone. So, hey, I have a free spot. Sure, we can record that podcast interview there. I have another free spot. Sure, we can have a coffee chat there. And I would book up my calendar packed and I was burned out. I was so tired all the time and I wasn't getting any work done because I was constantly in meetings. So I decided, I'm like, well, clearly that is not working because I'm not getting my work done. I really need that alone time. I know that Ina doesn't like to be alone, but Ina needs the alone time so that Ina is not working all through the weekend and not spending time with her family because she didn't get anything done during the week because she was in meetings. So what are we going to do about this? So I started spreading out my meetings and I said, no meetings. Like Mondays are, there's a moratorium on meetings on Mondays and on Wednesdays. Fridays, sometimes I throw a meeting in there, but I try to cram all my meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that Mondays can be my going live day. Wednesdays can be my creation day. Like these are my, my time to actually create stuff, to spend time doing the thing. And then Fridays are kind of like my catch-all. The things that I didn't get done in the week, I get done on Friday. So now that I created that schedule, which by the way, doesn't 100% of the time work because self-sabotage is a real thing. So sometimes I will book meetings on Wednesdays and Fridays and shoot myself in the foot, but I try really hard not to. So what happens when I'm alone, right? Panic sets in, right? I'm alone now. So you know how I decided to channel that energy. I decided to channel it through creating stories on Instagram. Because as soon as I turn this podcast off and I'm alone and it's just me with my thoughts, okay, I'll be honest, I'm probably going to go find my husband and get a hug because touch is my love language. I'll go get a hug, but then he has to get back to work. And then what? I record stories. Stories make me feel less alone. So if you see me on stories and you see that I've recorded a million stories, whoops, you know, it's a friend today, right? But that's how I've gotten really good at engaging on stories. So I went and I channeled that energy that used to be pure self-sabotage. I channeled it into something more productive, which is engaging with my audience, showing up on camera, coming and teach something. I sharpened up my ability to teach you something quickly, to say, I only have one minute, minute or I only have 15 seconds. I'm just going to tell it to you right now. Post, I'm done. So if you are thinking about this, if you're like, well, I'm having a really hard time getting things done uh, or the things that I have to do, I really don't want to do them. Figure out how you can start channeling your energy in more productive ways. Do you absolutely have to do that thing that you don't want to do? If you don't want to do it, is it absolutely necessary that it gets done? And if the answer is yes, train somebody else to do it. I should have hired a VA a long time ago. I hired her like three years into my business. I should have hired her within the first six months. So don't hang on to stuff just because you're superwoman and you're supposed to be able to handle it. 
think about what you want to get done and the most productive way for you to do it without forcing yourself. That was one big thing that I learned and I, I still try to meet to this day. If you were to ask me, what do I think is the biggest, is the biggest thing that influences your success as a coach or has influenced my success as a coach? I knew this from day one, by the way. I didn't always act like it, but I knew this from day one. Longevity. I knew when I first started following all those coaches back in 2018, I knew that the reason I was finding them and I found them so appealing was because they had been in business for at least five years and they knew their craft and they knew what they were doing. And I could see myself there. But instead of there being with so many thousands of followers, I could see myself there five years from now. So if there was one thing that I could tell you, okay, Ina, what is the biggest factor to your success? Longevity. is being here every day for the past four years and continuing to be here every day for the next five and 10 and 15. The, I, I, I saw this someplace and I don't remember who said that. Somebody's going to have to like, check my quote here. Fact check me. Um, but somebody said something to the effect of longevity is the key and the key is longevity. I heard that somewhere and I don't remember who said that. So be there every day. Just be there. In a year, you're going to be eons away from where you are right now. My business has evolved very differently every single year. If you want to hear the full story of how I quit my job, how I got majorly screwed over at work, which made me quit my job, and which, which programs I created and all that evolution, go back and listen to the Global Phenomenon episode 51 because I shared my entire story up until that point there, okay? I needed to be able to pivot and evolve in that time though. I couldn't just choose one idea on the first year and then say, okay, this is the idea that I'm going to stick with for the next five years. I actually worked with um, someone who does branding and uh, I think I made her mad because she and I created an amazing brand for my business, which was based on the hero's journey of my client, which was based on my story, which was based on my personality. We created this whole brand um, and the colors of the brand were like red and yellow, like really bright. And when I started my new Instagram account in 2021, I decided to do away with the red color. Um, it was actually starting to bother me, the fact that, you know what, I don't really like red that much. You know what I really like is pink. So I had to choose something that was going to give me longevity, that was going to make me want to show up every day. That was more important to me than creating a brand that other people were going to relate to forever. Because if I'm not here to talk about the brand, then that brand is not going to matter. I need to be able to be here. So I need to be able to want to be here every year. 
And for that, I chose the colors that I like. And now you look at my feet and it's all pink and I love it. I love showing up in pink. That contributes to my longevity. Another thing that contributes to my longevity is knowing that I'm never stuck with anything. So I have actually worked with and met coaches who say that the ideal scenario is that you would have clients for years and years on end, that somebody would just continue to renew with you for as long as they need you. And that works great for some coaches. For me, it doesn't. When someone finishes working with me, I actually give them the advice that try not having a coach for like a month in your business, right? Don't jump from coach to coach to coach to coach, from investment to investment. See what it feels like to be faced with decisions and to have to make the decisions without somebody in your ear telling you what to do all the time. Feel that because that is going to be a key to your longevity, right? And for me, I, when I'm done working with a client, I want them to take some space and to really figure out what is their next move. I don't want them to just jump into my next upsell or my next downsell. I want them to take some time and think about things. Look at everything we just did. What is your next move? And invest in that because I think it's a much smarter way to go. It also allows me to stay nimble, to know that once I finish with an engagement, that time is going to open up and I can choose to either backfill it with another client or I can choose to do something else entirely. And as someone, and I know some of you relate to this, as someone who is multi-talented, multi-passionate, right? Like we all talk about each other, like we're like, no, we are multi-passionate entrepreneurs. And that's why it's so hard for us to niche down and to settle on a niche and to say that I'm only going to work with this kind of person because I am interested in so many things. Same here. So I keep my life interesting and I make it more possible for me to have a long business life by keeping it nimble. By saying by the, at the end of this engagement, I'm going to take a little break and I'm going to choose what is my next project going to be? Am I going to do a new launch? Am I going to launch a new offer? Am I going to go back and make my current offers better? Am I just going to retreat and serve my clients? What am I going to do? It's important to me to have that flexibility. So I build that into my business and that allows me to have longevity. Because if I didn't, if I just did what everybody else is telling me to do, hey, Ina, have clients that never end. Hey, Ina, um, launch every month. Um, hey, Ina, invest in this big program every six months. I would just not be here. I'd be like, ah, everybody needs to just quiet down so that I can think. So I give myself the space to think. And that has helped me stick with it. So think about the things that you need to put in place in your business and in your life to make sure that you don't quit. That's the biggest risk in business, by the way, especially in online marketing, in online coaching. The biggest risk to your business is not that it will die. It's not that you won't get clients. It's not that it won't grow because really there is no way to go but up. It is that you will quit too soon. That's the biggest risk to your business is that you are going to quit. So what do you need to do to not? What do you need to do to ensure that you're creating a perfect breeding ground, a fertile ground for you to continue to be there every day, whatever that takes. 
for my introverts out there, maybe it's not showing up in stories every day, right? Maybe if I'm here telling you, hey, you need to show up on stories every day so that people can see you, but you're an introvert and you're like, I don't need that. I just don't want it. Hire yourself a social media manager, somebody who's going to take your old videos and turn them into content for your stories. Somebody who's going to take your posts and line them all up prettily so that they can go out every day and then repost them to your stories. Hire somebody to do that for you. Whatever you need to do so that your business can grow without you feeling like you don't want to do this anymore. Do that. There is no right answer. The only answer is what is going to make you less, li less likely to quit. That's the only answer. Another thing, here I'm going through my lessons here, and then we'll get to the hard lessons. And I've already touched on a couple of them. But here's another lesson. I learned how to do natural sales. Nobody taught me this. People were teaching me just the shark sales strategies. And I'm going to tell you, back in 2018, I knew I needed to learn about sales and that I didn't know anything about it. And I would follow people and I would hire coaches and they would tell me how to do it. They would tell me, okay, this is what you do. You're going to get people on a call and you're going to talk about them and then you're going to um, make an offer and then you shut up after you say the price and then you, um, this is how you're going to do the, the objections. You guys, I don't, I don't know where it is right now, but I, I used to have an entire graph, like a diagram that said, that would dictate, okay, what do I need to do if the objection is uh, that they need to talk to their husband about it? What if the objection is that, oh, um, I don't have the money in my account yet? What if the objection was, oh, I'm not sure about it. I'm a seven out of 10, right? Like I had an entire graph because I was learning from coaches who just treat sales as a very transactional activity. And I was trying to learn it that way. And it did not feel good to me. And I never learned it. I never learned how to make it transactional. I had to learn a natural way for me to do it. And the only way that I could learn how to do it was to practice. So if sales are getting in your way because you feel like you don't know enough about it, the best gift you can give to yourself is to get on as many sales calls as possible. And you will learn. You will hit yourself in the head. You will learn the hard way. You will be in, in conversations where you're like, oh, what do I do? And then the next one won't be as hard. And then you'll start hearing some yeses and you'll feel what hearing a yes feels like, right? So I'm going to tell, I'm going to actually tell you a story. This was on my hard lessons list, but I'm going to tell it to you right now because we're on this topic. I had a hard lesson on a sales call once, if you want to hear this. I was selling my my big program back in 2020. And at that point, I had decided that I actually didn't want to sell it anymore. Um, but I, it was one of those things that I raised the price, I jacked it up way high. And I said, well, if anybody buys it at this price, I'll keep going. But if they don't, I'm okay with it. <laughs> right? I was just willing to lose every client. I was willing to, um, I was willing to price everybody out of this offer, because I didn't want to do it anymore. So, but I, instead of just admitting that to myself and saying, maybe I just don't want to do it anymore. I should do something else. I just went ahead with like, I'm just going to jack up the price and price everybody out. Big surprise. I did not sign anybody for that launch and I was relieved and then get clients first was born, 
right? So best thing that could have ever happened. But I did end up getting on sales calls to try to sell this for the highest price that I'd ever charged for anything. And I'm here having a sales call in that sharky way, right? Like, okay, so tell me about you and I tell you about this and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so this is the price. Shut up and hear a response. And this person on the other side, listen to this again. Like it's so even embarrassing to admit that this happened. But I was learning and this was a hard lesson that I learned because this never happened again. He said, that is, that would deplete all of my savings. That's what he said to me. When I told him the price, he said, that is all of my savings. And my response, my response was, and? That was my response. Now, looking back, I know why I was saying and, but it came off as, I seriously don't care that this is going to deplete your savings, right? That's how it came off. It came off as somebody who absolutely did not care about that person who was sitting across from her. That's how it came off. And I felt that. I was like, that was not good. Now, I know what I was, what I, why I was saying it. <clears throat> I know why I was saying it. I wanted him to say, and I can't make that investment. I wanted him to make the decision to not make the investment. I didn't want to be the one to tell him, oh, well, clearly you can't afford it, never mind. I wanted him to make the next statement. I wanted him to say, then therefore I cannot afford this at this time. I wanted him to say that. But instead of having a conversation about it, instead of saying, wow, like, you know, that sounds like a big, like a big jump. So let's go back to basics. Is this something that you absolutely need? right? If this had been something that he absolutely needed, you know, there would have been no question. That would have been his choice. But I didn't, I did not show myself to be a compassionate person at that moment. I showed myself to be a shark and I did not like that. I didn't like the feeling. I didn't like that. That pretty much closed the door for him and his partner, who I had also been in touch with, closed the doors for us to even speak ever again because of my demeanor, because of my behavior in that sales call. I learned the hard way that this doesn't feel good, that this doesn't feel right, that there, I'm doing something wrong here and it has to be fixed. And that's when I said, I'm not doing that anymore. I threw away the chart, right, of the objections. And I've actually had clients in the past who have told me, okay, so how do I handle this objection? I'm like, why do you want to handle objections? That person, uh, first of all, in a sales call, somebody is not going to be completely honest with everything that is on their mind, but they are going to make the best decision for them. Whether I understand the reason or not, that's irrelevant. What matters is, is that person making the right decision for them at this particular point in time? Can I help in that decision? Awesome. But if not, it's none of my business why they're saying no. It'd be nice to know, but this is their life. This is their investment. So I learned 
a much better way for me to feel good about sales, for me to feel like, you know what? I am offering a service that is going to help you do this, and it's up to you whether you join it or not. It's not up to me to convince you of anything. So I learned that in that one phone call. And I really hope that none of you are, ever find yourselves in that position of really not liking the person that you see in the mirror. That's when everything changed for me. And that's when I switched over to teaching a better way to do things. And to this day, I don't do sharky sales. I have an offer. I do my best at explaining it so that the right person will pick it up. And then I help that person And the end. I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. So learning natural sales was probably one of the best things that I did, not just to follow what everybody tells me. Another thing that really, really helped me in all of this time was to keep a close eye on my finances. I know that some of you out there are not even looking at your credit card bill, are not even looking at your debit card statement, are not even, quote unquote, balancing your checkbook, right? I, quote unquote, balance my checkbook. That's an expression. I don't have a checkbook to manage, is to balance, but I do have a spreadsheet and I look at my accounts online every single day and I make sure that I know where every cent is going. Um, and I have done that. I only started doing that, by the way, on year two. On year three of my business is when I started actually tracking these things. I did not track my finances in 2018, in 2019. Most of 2020, I didn't even track my finances. And the reason I didn't, the reason I didn't was because I thought I'm not making enough money for that to even matter. That's what I was telling myself. So I was so far removed from my finances that I finally decided one day to just keep track of everything. And I'm going to give you a quick tip right now. It's possible that you have signed up for a yearly memberships that you don't even remember. It's possible that you're paying for two accounts of something and you don't even know that. So tracking your expenses for one month is not enough. You actually have to track it for an entire year so you can see, okay, what did I miss? What, am I, why, what is my credit card still attached to that I don't know about? And you won't know that until you track your finances for an entire year first. So I would recommend starting this process now, immediately, right now, right away. So you know where everything's coming from. After I kept track of my finances for an entire year, I was able to remove so many unneeded expenses. I realized I was getting charged for an extra hosting account, like website hosting account that I had set up for like one demo video back in 2018, two years prior. And I never noticed that I was getting charged hundreds of dollars a year for that account because I never looked. So if I were to say something that really helped me get here, is that. In fact, to be able to calculate that quarter million dollar revenue, the way that I calculated the quarter million dollar revenue line was I had to go back to my PayPal, which I don't, I don't really use anymore. I, I rarely use PayPal anymore, but in the beginning of my business, I used PayPal and then I switched to Stripe. So Stripe only had like 
$207,000 that I could see from the moment that Stripe was in, was instituted, right? But what about all my PayPal charges? I didn't have that written down anywhere because I only started tracking my finances in August of 2020. So I had to go back to PayPal and I had to request a report of all of my expenses and all of my refunds and all of my invoices and then narrow it down in a spreadsheet and be really careful, okay, what is a debit and what is a credit, right? And I finally like added all that up and that's how I came up with my final figure. So start tracking your things, start tracking your things and celebrate the milestones. Like don't be afraid of the milestones. There are many coaches out there who are making way more money than me. And they're out there saying, okay, this is how I made $500,000 this year. I'm going to tell you how. And I'm like, well, I'm here at a quarter million over the lifespan of my business and I'm celebrating it. I'm celebrating it now. Because I am done not celebrating milestones because I feel like I'm not there yet. I'm not big enough yet. It's not a quarter million in profits, right? No, I am going to celebrate every milestone. I'm going to be here to tell you about it, okay? Another thing that really helped me with all of this over the past four years has been speaking engagements, going out there and teaching in other people's communities. Uh, this is something that I absolutely love to do. Love to do this. Uh, it's something that you should be doing as well. Don't just rely on your followers. Don't just rely on your followers telling other people, right? Do this. Go and talk to other people who have complimentary services from your, own, from your own and speak in their communities. That has served me really well because it's a really fast way to build your authority and I get clients faster. It's like the, the audience gets warmed up a lot faster when they see you from a position of authority. So that's one thing that has really, really helped me. Um, I just put that in here. I'm going through my list. It says celebrate my milestones. You guys, I have not been celebrating my milestones. I didn't even celebrate my $100,000 mark, number one, because I wasn't tracking my finances. Number two, because I'm like, yeah, but it's not profits, but I'm in debt, right? I got myself into so much debt my first three years of business. I'm still trying to dig myself out of it. But once I pay it off, I'll come back and tell you all about it and we'll record the zero debt podcast. But I got myself into so much debt the first three years that I couldn't celebrate. I was like, no, I'm in debt. It's not profits. Um, I don't have enough followers. I am not big enough in the industry, so I'm just not going to. No, we're going to celebrate every point. And every year we're going to get better and better and better at it. Okay. One thing that I did start doing, though, I started paying myself. So if you're in any kind of situation where, um, you know, maybe like you have a spouse that can support the family while your business is taking off. Um, that's kind of been my situation. And I didn't pay myself for the longest time. The business, we just reinvest its money back into the business, reinvest back into the business. And I wasn't paying myself anything. Then in the beginning of 2021, I started paying myself, even if it was just a little bit every month, just for practice, even though like every fiber of my being was screaming because it was like, no, 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 I need to pay down debt. I cannot pay myself. I need to pay down debt. I decided, you know what? And by the way, I am not a financial advisor. I should have said that. I'll say that at the top of the episode. 
I'm not a financial advisor. Please do not take financial or legal advice from me. Consult your CPA, consult your bookkeeper, consult your finance manager. Okay, I'm not it. I'm just telling you my experiences. So I chose that, you know what? I am going to pay myself at least a nominal amount so that I can see how I'm doing, right? It's actually a great gauge to see how you're doing financially when you see that number start to increase. And last month is the, mo the most I've ever paid myself ever. And my husband was so proud of me. He was like, you're contributing to the household. Congratulations. I'm like, oh my God, that feels so good, right? So it's been a really nice measure for how the business is doing, being able to pay myself a little bit every month, even if it's just a little bit. Um, and now just giving myself bonuses and giving myself, you know what? I deserve that and I'm going to pay with it, pay it with the business money. That has been an amazing difference um, that I really recommend that everybody does it. Another thing that has really worked for me, again, all of this is around longevity, is around what am I going to do to make this easier for me to not quit? I decided to plan my launches around my life rather than the other way around. So I am doing a launch right now. I have a five-day challenge that is coming up. Um, and if you have not signed up for it, you can still go to socialauthoritychallenge.com. We are going to elevate your authority with a small audience. That's what we're going to do. It's going to be super fun. It's going to be a huge party. And you can still sign up for it at socialauthoritychallenge.com. So I was planning this launch and I looked at my calendar and I really wanted to do it earlier in October. But in October, there's a whole bunch of other things happening, right? Uh, and I just, I couldn't. So I decided, okay, then it's just going to have to wait until the first week of November. The end. That's it. I am going to plan my business around my life rather than my life around my business. That really, really helped me, uh, especially with longevity. Am I doing things that don't burn me out? Am I not booking myself for everything all at once? Yeah. Um, I also learned... We're, I'm going to tell you a couple more lessons and then we're going to do a couple of hard lessons. Uh, but I'm hoping that this is helpful to anyone out there. The things that I've been through for the past four years that now they're cleared stage and we're going to move on to learning more new things, right? Um, I learned that when people need what I have, selling is easy. So it never feels like I'm selling. I just feel like I'm helping. That has been a huge lesson for me. When people need what I have, selling is easy because I'm not actually selling it. It just sells itself. So my whole job is to make sure that everybody understands what I do and understands what the program is. If everybody understands it, they're adults. They can make their own decisions. Another thing that I learned is that posting every day actually does matter because I was following gurus that would tell me, oh, you know, just post whenever you can, whatever frequency is good for you, just do it. Uh, but the reality is that the more you post, the better off you're going to be because you get to stay front of mind. You get to practice those, you know, content creation skills. So of course it takes a little bit of time to get there to posting every day, but do whatever you can to start setting up for the future. At the, at the time of this recording, it is October of 2022. I have my Instagram content planned out through the end of 2023. This is, a, this is not a typo. 
I'm not saying that I have all my content planned out through the end of the year. I'm saying that I have all of my content planned out through the end of next year. Why am I doing that? Because I want to spend time with my clients, with my family, getting more clients, doing my launches, and I don't want to have to worry about what I'm posting. I consider myself to be the laziest person on Instagram who posts the most. And that's what I recommend for everybody. And by the way, that's the kind of thing you're going to learn inside this small audience social authority challenge is how do you actually get that done? We're going to be talking a little bit about that. So yeah, posting every day frees up your time rather than take time away. That's amazing, right? Um, I think we can get to a couple of hard lessons and then we can wrap it up. But I really hope that this has been helpful, that you know this is kind of more of a philosophy of business, that if you adopt this mindset of longevity, of doing things that are that I want to do rather than the things that I have to do, then business has no way to go but up. Stay nimble. Know that you're not stuck with any decisions that you make right now. You can always change them, right? Even the content that I have planned out for the next year, that can change at any time, right? So staying nimble has been a really important one for me. Um, I'm going to tell you one that I actually, that just hit me recently and that I'm very, very happy that it did. Um, I just saw an influencer that I admire that I've been following for a long time um, express that she totally underestimated how much effort it would be to do a launch when she has a newborn baby at home. This is somebody that I had been following for a very long time, somebody that I always looked up to even though I am many years, <laughs> many years her senior, um, but I always looked up to her. And I always, I was always in and out, like on and off of her feed because as a mom, having a business with kids, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. And I always felt like sometimes when I follow people who don't have kids, by the way, I'm not faulting them for not having kids. That's just their life. And I'm the one following them, right? That's their life. But what I was doing is feeding into my brain this idea that, Ina, you should be able to do exactly what that person is doing, right? And I would put so much pressure on myself because I was comparing myself to someone who has a completely different life than me, completely different life, completely different life. So I was comparing and it would destroy me on the inside. And sometimes I would stop following her because I would just be too triggered by her success, right? And it wasn't even envy. It's not like I was looking at it and saying, oh man, why is that not me? It was just the feeling that, why do I feel not good enough? It was me. It was not her. She has a fabulous, amazing business. She's made amazing sacrifices and I love, love her online presence. But my brain was telling me, you're not as good as she is. You're not as good as she is. And it would just kill me every time. And when she went ahead and posted after she had a baby that she totally underestimated the amount of effort and work. And this is somebody with million dollars of, uh, you know, million dollar business with a team of 20 people in her staff, right? Like people who actually do things for her. And she's coming and saying, I didn't know how hard this was going to be. I finally felt seen. I finally felt validated. It wasn't the fact that I wasn't good enough. It was the fact that being a mom 
and being an online coach is hard work. And I learned that there is no amount of money, there is no amount of high vibes, there is no amount of manifestation that is going to make being a mom and a business owner an easy path. So for all of you moms out there, I want you to know that, that I faced, I faced my fair share of really hard times by being a mom and an online coach and having something that really meant a lot to me that I wanted to grow and then having a business. Uh-huh. See what I did there? My baby and my babies are my business and my children. Those are the things that I care about the most. And I know I might get some letters saying, like, how can you compare your children to business? But my business is my identity, right? And I care as much about me as I care about my kids. I care about all of us. So when my kids get sick, I can't do some things in my business. And guess what? I'm going to come here and express my own frustrations with that. It is frustrating. There is no scenario where I have an entire day planned for my business and one of my sons gets sick and I feel happy to drop everything I'm doing to take care of my son. I feel frustrated, right? Now, I do it anyway, but I feel frustrated. And I want you to know that it's okay to feel frustrated. These things are going to happen. Being a mom and being an online coach, they're not easy things to do combined, but we are going to persevere. So let's go back to the longevity factor, okay? Let's go back to the longevity factor. If you want your business to stand the test of time, then it's time to adjust the business to match your life. I, that's why it was so important to me to, ha- to have a really flexible schedule because I can't guarantee that I'm going to wake up one day and actually be able to meet that schedule. This happened this past week. Both of my kids got sick. They ended up being at home with me and I had to stop what I was doing to take care of them. And I had to stop what I was doing to go and give them lunch and to go and do this and to go and do that. I had to. Today, fortunately, I was able to call on family members to help. Can you please take my son so that I can do this thing? I have a lunch at the... um, I have a lunch at the Chamber of Commerce and I have this podcast to record. Can you please help me out with my son today? Right? So tapping on help. But it's not easy. It's not easy. And I never felt as seen as when somebody else said it out loud, saying, I didn't know this was going to be that hard. And yes, it is. And we love our kids. We love our children, right? But we love our businesses and we love our lives too. Doing them both will be hard. So whatever you need to do to make sure that you're not going to quit too soon. Don't be superwoman. You cannot match the, uh, the level of availability of somebody else out there who is doing their thing and they don't have the same life setup as you. So following other moms actually helps to see how they deal with it. I talk about this stuff all the time. I show you on stories. Look, I have a coworker today. My son is here with me today, right? Uh, I show you that stuff. So you can see that it's not all just, I'm only here to work on the business and that's it. I actually have a life and I have my kids. And no, it's not easy. And we all have to struggle with it, but we do it, right? So I want you guys to know that. And you know what is, what is one thing that I really, really love about this whole setup anyway, even though it can be frustrating at times, that my kids 
are seeing me follow my passion. That my kids are seeing me love what I do. And that means so much more to me than just having a regular job. That they can see that I care about this, that I love this, and that I'm willing to teach it to them. That I have clients, my little five-year-old, he, tell, he knows, oh my God, he knows how to pull up my heartstrings. He tells me at night, hi mom, how are your clients today? A five-year-old asks me, how are your clients? I'm like, I love it that you know that word. I know you don't know what it means, but I love it that you know that word and that you're asking me. It means so much to me that they see that. So it's not one or the other. We can do both. But we're not superwomen. We're not going to be superwomen. We're only human. So we got to do what we need to do. Okay? I'm going to get off my soapbox now. My main point is, yes, mompreneurship is hard. And we do it anyway because we wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm going to tell you another hard lesson. This was a hard lesson. When the pandemic hit, actually, it wasn't even with the pandemic. When I had my second baby, when I had James, this was five years ago. Um, actually have like a tiny story for you. This, this, is a, a, this is something I'm hoping that you don't learn the hard way, that you actually do it the right way the first time around. I discovered that my relationship with my husband is the most important thing in the world to me. Without a good relationship with my husband, everything else crumbles. So when I had my baby and I quit my job and I started coaching um, with a newborn baby at home, I would take care of the baby during the day and then my husband would come home and I would give him the baby and say, your turn, and now it's my turn to work. And I would come into this room and I would work until 11 o'clock at night. And then I would get out, babies would be sleeping, and then uh, we would just go to bed. Like my husband sometimes would go to bed, you know, without us really having dinner together or anything. And after a while, maybe after a couple months, I felt like we had a good deal. He works during the day, I work at night. I take care of the baby during the day, he takes care of the baby at night. I thought it was a perfect deal. But he started to act out a little bit. Like I started to sense that, Things were not okay anymore. And when I asked him about it, he wasn't, he wasn't sure how to phrase it. Like he wasn't sure how to, how to share what he was feeling. But I ended up getting the sense that, wait a minute, you miss me. You miss me. You want to see me. You want to spend time with me. And he's like, no, what are you talking about? That's what's happening right now. So guess what I did? Instead of working all night, thinking that that was my time, I discovered I need to make time for this relationship. Just because this old arrangement seems quote-unquote fair to me, I wasn't actually feeding the one relationship in my life that keeps my life going, and that is my relationship with my spouse. So I'm going to say right now, Whatever you need to do to continue to feed the relationship with your spouse is going to help you in the long run. My husband is my biggest cheerleader. He still has no idea what I do. He does not want to be on camera. He does not have a social media presence. He doesn't want any part of this personally. But he's my biggest cheerleader. 
and he knows that I will make time for him when he needs me. And to this day, we have a date night every single night. We have dinner together every single night. And we always get to watch whatever show we're both watching at the time. And at any point in time, either of us is completely free without penalty to pause the show and turn to the other and say something that is on our minds. I pause the show and I say, you know what I've been thinking about? And sometimes that turns into a half an hour tangent and we feed our relationship that way. And my relationship with my husband is the most important thing in my entire life. Without it, everything else falls apart. So I have learned to prioritize it and I learned that the hard way. Imagine if I had dug my heels into that deal, right? It's like, well, but it's only fair, right? Feminism, I need to be working because that's my time. If I had dug my heels in, then I'm not even working into a compromise, then I'm not even opening the lines of communication and I'm leaving out someone who spends the entire day working and then comes home to a sleepy, crying baby to do the second duty, and he doesn't even get the benefit of hanging out with his favorite person on earth, right? He has needs to. So we figured it out. We figured it out. Sometimes I would take Thursday nights off, and I would just say, Thursdays are my nights where I have my meetings, and you, I'll, take, I'll see you every other night, but Thursdays I can't. Or Saturday mornings. Everybody pretty much just sleeps and takes care of themselves Saturday mornings. So I'm like, okay, Saturday mornings, they're my time. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to work until noon. Boom. Everybody get out of my way. So we figured out a way to make it work. But that relationship with your spouse is a really, really important factor for your success. So if we're talking about success, keep your relationships healthy. I'm going to give you one more hard lesson. I hope that everybody listens to this one and I'm going to leave you with this one, okay? I hope that this has been really helpful for everybody to hear. These are the things that I, I learned. These are the things that I'm growing from here up, right? These are lessons from almost five years in business. Let's see what the next five years bring, okay? Thank you so much for listening to my TED Talk. Um, this is one that I... I am still working on because it was a recent one. So I used to believe that when people said that they couldn't pay my prices, that they couldn't afford my programs, was because they didn't, literally, they did not have the money in the bank, right? Or that they already had that money allotted to something else, right? It's like, you know what? That this person is just not going to sign up for this because the price is too high. And I'd be like, that's fine. That's cool. Price is too high. Just come back when you can, right? I, I don't lower my prices. It's just, you know, come back when you can. And there was one instance where I had a client. Actually, there were two instances. And they, they might actually recognize themselves in this story. Uh, hi, if you recognize yourself in this story, I love you so much. And thank you so much for teaching me this valuable lesson. But it's a lesson on pricing. Um, I had a client who was actually part of, you know, my membership. Uh, and my membership, you know, I'm sure that I'm not going to change the price at any point anytime soon, but my membership is $200 a month because um, you, know, you get a ton of, um, ton of my advice and ton of my help in there, including my whole process for how to get clients with a small audience for only $200 a month cancel anytime. 
And when this person left the membership, she um, she said, oh, you know, I just can't afford to continue to pay $200 a month. And I said, that's cool. That's fine. Come back anytime. We stayed in good terms. This person ended up a year later signing up for one of my VIP days at the cost of $2,000 that day. And that was a one data point. I'm going to tell you another one. That was one data point when I realized that I can't make decisions on my pricing based on what somebody else is telling me they can or can't afford. I need to make decisions on my pricing based on what I feel is the value of that asset. So when she did that, when she said, I can't afford $200 a month, but then paid $2,000 basically to spend one day with me, um, I couldn't believe it. Not has nothing to do with her, of course. I believe that people are grown-ups and they should grown-ups and they should be making decisions, their financial decisions on their own. And like I covered earlier in the episode, it's none of my business how this person decides to spend her money. It's really not, right? That's why I don't think that tackling objections is even a thing, it even works, because I think the person is going to do what is best for them, regardless of what I say. Um, I really believe that. I give people agency on their decisions. But it, it led me to reach a conclusion that if I had just taken that into account, that wait, if she can't afford $200 a month, then maybe she can't afford $2,000 for a day. Are you kidding me? That that would be unthinkable. No, she could because she saw the value. She saw the value of she was paying for and she signed up for it because she has agency on her decisions. Another data point that I had that, that kind of drove this point home I had been talking to someone for a while who kept telling me, I'm saving up for your membership, $200 a month. I can't afford that right now, but I will. And we have been talking for many, many months. And then one day she finally decides to sign up and I was super happy. I welcomed her in. I'm like, so happy that you're finally here. And she told me, wow, your membership has so much more value than this other program that I signed up for a couple months ago, which was to the tune of thousands of dollars. And when I heard that, uh, of course, again, like I said, no judgment on her. People will make their own financial decisions. People have agency on them. But when I heard it, I caught myself. I'm like, I kept thinking that she couldn't afford $200 while she had found something else that was more valuable for thousands of dollars. Why am I telling you this? Because these realizations, they have nothing to do with that person. They have nothing to do with how people make decisions. People are grownups and they will make their their investment decisions in the best way for them. And that's none of my business. But I realized that I wasn't pricing my my services and my, my programs based on what I felt was the right price. I felt like I was doing it because people were telling me that they couldn't afford it. That is totally the wrong thing to do. And it just, these two situations where one person is telling me they can't afford 200 and then they end up paying thousands, it it taught me that it's none of my business why people don't sign up for a program. And that if they say that they can't afford it, it's really that's not anything that I can just take at face value. It's not something that I'm not even saying whether it's true or not. I'm saying this person needs to make the best decision for them. I need to do my job at pricing my programs at the value that I believe this program is worth. And if somebody can't do it at the time, great. I don't even need to know the reason. 
I don't even need to do the reason. All I can do is say, this is what the program is and this is the price and that is it and detach myself from what the response will be and detach myself from thinking, well, if they think that they can't afford it, maybe I'm doing something wrong. No. So I'm going to leave you with that huge lesson for you right now. If you're considering creating coaching programs, if you're considering pricing your next course, don't tell me, well, people can't afford that. Don't tell me, well, I asked and that person would not be able to buy it because it's too expensive. Maybe I should lower it. Don't tell me that. Look at what you have in front of you. Look at how much support you're giving the person. Look at how much value you're adding. Look at the marketplace and say, this fits into this price range and be confident about it. And the right people will come to you. Some of my best, most lovely uh, devoted clients have been the people who have paid the higher prices to work with me. And they've never once said this wasn't worth it. Every single time they have said, where do I sign? Where do I put the testimonial? This has been incredible. I, can, I should have done this sooner, right? So we need to start detaching our value, our self-worth for what people are saying about our prices. And that's a huge lesson I kept learning, I keep learning every day that I'm hoping that everybody can catch. And if you have any questions about that, you can always come and DM me on Instagram. I'm at Your Engagement Coach. So if you have a question about that in particular, let me know. But that's kind of what I have. So it has been 150 episodes of interviewing some of my heroes, some of my best friends, some of the most amazing people in the online world. It has been 150 episodes of teaching you how to monetize your tiny audience. It has been almost five years. It's been four full years and almost five years of being in business and reaching this quarter million dollar milestone. It only gets better from here. So I can't wait until you are celebrating your own. And in fact, I'm going to encourage you to look at your finances, because we covered that today, to look back at your finances and tell me, where are you and which milestone are we celebrating? Are you celebrating that you just reached the $50,000 revenue mark in your business? Are you celebrating that you just realized that you're about to hit the $100,000 revenue mark for the lifespan of your business? Maybe you've been in business for a really long time and you've never even added up the numbers. What is your number? And start celebrating it. Because what Everything that has gotten you here is going to help you for the next five years. If you have a podcast, do the same. Give yourself a milestone, episode 25, episode 50, episode 75, episode 100, and recount your story and encourage and inspire other people who are coming after you to do the same. And I'm hoping that this episode did that for you. Thank you for being an amazing listener of the Global Phenomenon podcast. Thank you for being an amazing audience member inside the Your Engagement Coach Instagram account. Thank you for being an amazing subscriber on my mailing list. And here is to 150 episodes more. Thank you so much for listening. You know that part in this episode that made you go, oh my God, I need to write that down. I want to know what that was. So go over to Instagram and find me at 
your engagement coach and send me a DM. I want to hear it. And if your business bestie is missing out on all of these juicy strategies, make sure to take a screenshot of the episode and share it to your stories. Remember to tag me so that I can thank you personally for all your support. I'll see you on the next episode.